Welcome to an Upside Down World. The podcast from T-Fund Australia with your hosts, Joel McCarrow and Grace Nahum. Welcome back to another episode of an Upside Down World podcast. One of my favourite things, really, uh, about this whole podcast is listening to the stories of people. Storytelling uh, is something that has been around this world for generations and generations, of course. It's been around since the beginning of time. We've told stories, and on this land where we gather and share these stories and listen to these stories and have these interviews... Um, it's just so important to listen and recognise that stories have been told on this land for so long before us white fellas came along, me as a white man uh, and my ancestry. And so um, I want to acknowledge today the traditional storytellers of this land, those who lived here um, on Wurundjeri country and the Kulin nations for years and years and years and years and years before my people ever told their stories on here. Um, the stories that were told uh, about the land um, and about creation mm. and the indigenous dreaming stories. So I pay my respects to the traditional storytellers of this land today. Mm. And I want to pay my respects to the elders past and present of the Darawal Nation, which is now known as the Sutherland Shire. This week on the podcast, we'll be hearing from Tim Costello. Tim is the Executive Director of MICA Australia and a Senior Fellow for the Centre for Public Christianity. He was also CEO of World Vision Australia from 2004 to 2016. That's a long time. That is a long time. He must be a very old man. (laughs) He is so old. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry, Tim. I just like like paying Tim out about his old... old Um, This week we'll be chatting through the fourth beatitude found in in Matthew 5, verse 6. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. If you're getting the Tear Fun Lent series cards, you'll be able to see some of this interview on the back of the card, as well as a prayer from Tim Costello. After the interview, we'll be hearing a poem from Joel about the man on the fourth card in our Lent series, Punya Prashad. Punya is a Nepalese farmer who, being born with a lame leg in the mountains of Nepal, doesn't use a wheelchair but rather walks everywhere on his hands. His is a remarkable story, so make sure you listen up after the interview with Tim to hear some of Punya's story reflected through poetry. But now sit back and enjoy the dulcet old man tones. No, I'm just kidding. I really loved him. Uh, The beautiful wisdom uh, of this man who has served for so many years, uh, served our world and Australia and uh, those who have faced inequality in so many different ways. Um, What an honour, again, to talk to, uh, I suppose, one of um, Australians, Christians, um, kind of one of our most esteemed figures doing so much work uh, mm. in, in just to bring about justice in our world. This is Tim Costello. Tim Costello, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast today. It's such a pleasure and a privilege to have you. How are you going? I'm doing very well. Thanks, Grace. Thanks for asking. Um, Good. I, uh, I've had a, a, a good lockdown. 
Uh, funny to say that, but, yeah, no, I've used it to read books I had never read that were on my bookshelf. War and Peace. Oh, wow. Oscar The Idiot and the Brothers Karamazov. And, um, wow. I, you really um, got in there. <laughs> I, I feel a better person. <laughs> For the literary masters, hey? Going yeah. Off. Well, well, you know, being a bit of an activist, I always intended to read them. I took lockdown. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm grateful. Now, most people listening would know who you are, but um, what does life look like for you at the moment post post lockdown? Well, it's starting to open up in ways that um, I'm not sure. I feel ambivalent about. You know, I've been in Sydney the last two nights, and I driving to the airport. And I never had this feeling before. I was resentful, thinking. Mm. I could just do this talk on Zoom and then go and have a swim. <laughs> I, 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 I don't need to leave my house. Uh, why, why are they demanding this? Um, yeah. It should be incarnational and uh, flesh meeting flesh and real people. Uh, uh, the other, you know, fascinating thing for me, I thought my international friends from Brazil to India to Indonesia, I could only see if I ever got up there or maybe a, a conference. Uh, yeah. Until lockdown. And then I said, I can Zoom them. And I Zoom them every month. <laughs> wow. Like, you know, You've never been never closer. <laughs> That's, That's awesome. That's great. What's, what's your role at the moment, Tim? Well, there's three roles. So um, Chief Advocate for the Alliance for Gambling Reform. So we're at last kicking some goals with Royal Commissions into Crown and uh, yeah. in New South Wales. I was seeing the Gaming Minister, Victor Dominello, in the, the Liberal government who's in 25 years the first minister of uh, the Crown who's actually systematically started to address the pokies, which um, Crims use suburban crims use pokies just to launder money, uh, to sell ice to our kids. Big, big time crims use casinos, <laughs> as yeah. we found out at Crown. So that's one role. Um, I'm a fellow of the Centre for Public Christianity, so that's mm. placing you know articles in the mainstream media about the beauty and uh, truth and flourishing of uh, of Christian faith. And I'm also uh, Executive Director of NICA Australia, so we've been running an End COVID for All campaign and a second campaign, Christians United for Afghanistan, to get an intake of 20,000 Afghan refugees uh, after the Taliban took over. Yeah, wow. Wow. Huge. Huge. Um, What for you at the moment, um, what's stirring in you at the moment? What are you passionate about, thinking about, engaging with? Mm. Well, I, I, I am very exercised around climate change and yeah. uh, I wrote a piece in The Guardian which, you know, had some mixed reviews from Christians. Uh, I didn't choose the heading but the heading was if uh, Scott Morrison uh, was serious about his Christian faith, he would address climate change. Great It wasn't my heading but <laughs> I, I was arguing that at the time of William Wilberforce uh, taking on the fight against slavery, slavery was much more economically important to the British Empire than coal is to Australia. And the moral imagination to say, uh, even though our enemies in France will just keep trading in slaves and will be at a disadvantage economically, Wilberforce had the moral vision to say, no, Christian faith, determines politics rather than politics de- determining faith. 
I, I want my faith to influence my politics. I don't want the reverse. Yeah. Uh, so that issue has been exercising. Wow. And you've been, I mean, you've been holding those two things together for most of your life now and have been such an advocate for Christians within the political world, um, within the political scene. Are you, are you seeing, I'm just wondering, are you seeing, have you seen advances there? Like you're always going to get flack from Christians on both sides being the kind of place that you put yourself in. But are you seeing, are we, are we beginning to realise what it looks like to be a, um, a socially engaged Christian? Are we, have we taken, tell me we've taken steps forward in that. <laughs> That's what I'm, um, yeah, not. so look, in my journey, uh, Joel, um, 20 years ago, you were still arguing that the gospel has social implications and people, churches were saying, no, it's just about saving souls to get to heaven. Mm-hmm. I think the influence of Tom Wright saying, actually, it's heaven coming to earth. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's not a Gnostic gospel of a soul escaping to heaven has had a profound impact on Australian churches and most are not arguing like they were 20 years ago. Mm-hmm. And, of course, it is what can we expect from the church and uh, most churches, and I think this is a move of the Holy Spirit, are really engaged with the poor in their community, whether it's mentally ill or homeless or mm. kids broken families, and see that as the gospel rather than just a an add-on, an option for a Tim Costello. <laughs> uh, mm. So I, I think that shift we should celebrate. Um, I think uh, the church is... Curious. At one level, it's uh, radical. It understands that we are an internationalist community and everyone's made in the image of God. And at another level, it gets caught up in nationalist agendas. So it is, you know, just protect us with the vax. And we're going, hang on. One, you don't protect us if we don't vaccinate the poor in low-income countries. But Mm -hmm. secondly, they're made in the image of God. Why were we hoarding hoarding five times more of the vax? and uh, how, how does that fit with that Christian faith? Climate change, same issue. can only be solved internationally, yet uh, nationalistic uh, Christians sometimes say, yeah, but it's cold and jobs and our mm-hmm. economic prosperity. Hang on, the gospel's internationalist. Mm-hmm. If climate change is profoundly affecting the world's poor, yeah. that should be at the heart of our faith. So I think um, the the shifts are happening. I think the implications of taking the gospel seriously, neither Jew nor Greek, (laughs) slave nor free, uh, it's an internationalist framing uh, where, you know, the New Jerusalem is every tongue and tribe praising God. So nationalism does not have a place. (laughs) Mm. I think that shift is still percolating with many in the church. And, look, I have been very, very sad and um, in a pandemic given that no human alive has lived through a pandemic. Yeah. So, yes, governments have overreached, but they've never lived through a pandemic. Mm. To see Christians often siding with the global hesitant anti-vaxxers, anti-mandates, and really confusing faith with what I call secular enlightenment language, crying freedom and self-sufficiency and autonomy and my body is sovereign, that's got nothing to do with Christian faith. Mm. That's John Stuart Mill and the secular enlightenment. Mm. And to hear Christians actually completely capitulating to a secular enlightenment worldview Mm. has been a bit discouraging for me. Mm. 
Totally. Mm-hmm. The power of fear, I guess, in all of it. Like, I, I think so, yeah, a lot of our reactions, whether you're an anti-vaxxer or a vaxxer, can be so grounded in in fear. Um, yeah. Yeah. And it's fascinating, you know, in Advent season that um, we read in the first two uh, chapters of Luke how the message of the gospel isn't primarily you are forgiven because you're guilty and sinful. It is fear not because you're anxious. Mm. I think uh, we Christians often want people to feel guilty because then we have the gospel and mm. the answer. But they don't feel guilty. They feel anxious. <laughs> mm. and anxiety is the epidemic. So the angel to the shepherds, first words are fear not. When um, The uh, angel appearing to Elizabeth, uh, fear not. And to Zachariah, the mother of John, fear not. Mm. To Mary, when she's overshadowed with the Almighty and conceives, fear not. Mm. Um, 365 times scripture says fear not. A verse wow. every day of the year. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's amazing. So we're coming into, at the moment, um, as this gets released, this is, we're coming into Lent. Um, and, well, we're halfway through Lent, I think, as this gets released and uh, coming into the cross. And we've been looking at the Beatitudes during this during this series. Um, I'm wondering for you, just as a general question to uh, to start with around this, what what are, what are the Beatitudes mean to you kind of in this lead up uh, towards the cross, in this lead up towards Easter, um, or just in general in life. Um, talk to us about the Beatitudes for a moment for you. You know, the Beatitudes are, for me, the values of that we live by and the virtues that we cultivate. As we know, the resurrection and the kingdom of God has begun, but whilst we await its fullness on earth, we will have virtues of signalling what that looks like. Right. And... Um, it's very important for me because I think Christians uh, in, from an evangelical background like me, we might as well have crucified the babe in the manger. We jump straight from birth to cross mm-hmm. and yeah. then we say we're saved. Mm-hmm. And discipleship is actually about practising the virtues of this kingdom which will come in its fullness but hasn't and we live into it now. So for me, though, the Beatitudes are really those virtues um, of uh, hungering and thirsting for justice and righteousness, of being meek and having a promise you'll inherit the earth, um, of seeing that the poor are particularly loved and seen by God, not invisible to God. Uh, these virtues are very different to a consumer capitalist, individualist society. They are the opposite. So for me, uh, living into the Beatitudes is the path of discipleship, signalling a kingdom that will actually be characterised by these virtues. Yeah. And it sounds like as well they seem, in what you were saying there, they seem to be virtues of resistance as well. Like they're one of our key ways to resist the consumer individualist kind of society that we're a part of. Um, I really like that idea. Mm. 
Um, today we're focusing on the beatitude, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Tim, what does righteousness mean for you? What mean to you? Yeah, no, so um, again, Tom Wright, and I'm indebted here, uh, has done a wonderful um, exposition, starting with Romans 1, that when uh, we read Romans, we read it through the Reformation in the 16th century, Martin Luther and others' eyes, mm. and think it's just about personal righteousness. Mm. He says, no, it's about justice. Uh, in, in fact, he says in one point, the Reformation gave wonderful biblical answers to medieval questions <laughs> because then it was um, penance and um, indulgences and all those things. But that's not what Paul was talking about. They weren't Paul's questions. Paul's questions was about the justice of God, mm. which he used the word uh, Dikaizune in Greek, righteousness, which means justice. And we've just individualized it and said that's about my personal righteousness that Jesus gives me by dying on the cross. He says, no, it's actually about Jesus coming as Israel's Messiah and as promised this Messiah is to be the king for the whole world. Mm. All, all will be then seeing the justice of this Messiah. Mm-hmm. And um, so thirsting for justice and righteousness, it includes personal righteousness, but that's not where it starts. It's actually seeing the, the world reordered along lines of justice and equity, which is the announcement of the reign of God, the kingdom of God. That thirst is very this worldly. Uh, it can't be brought in by us, but it's very this worldly. Yeah. Uh, why I've spent 25 years talking about uh, the capture of the gambling industry of our politics here in Australia. If we have a, a blind spot like Americans have over guns, ours is gambling. The rest of the world look at America and can't believe it. Uh, with guns, they look at us and they can't believe it. 40% higher losses than any nation in the world's number one yeah. uh, and the capture of our politics. So my shaking the tree on that is saying it robs the poor, it's predatory, uh, this is not yeah. the just God. Climate change, you name an issue. Thirsting for justice is actually thirsting for this reign of God that in the resurrection has begun and we're living into it now and signalling it now. Mm. Um, when I read these things, uh, I'm always struck by the kind of the paradoxical nature of them. Um, and that they seem um, like this This podcast is called An Upside Down World. Um, they're so upside down to how we see things. But I always wrestle with that. Like I read, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. And my first thing is like, really? Like, mm. they will that, is this one, is this a future thing? Will they be satisfied or can, or does the contentment and being filled happen now? But is that... <laughs> I just, I wrestle with the, is this just a platitude that would be a lovely thing? But in reality, um, I've seen many people who hunger and thirst for righteousness that don't seem to be filled. I wonder if you can speak to that kind of, that that tension and whether you've seen that in your own life and in your own work, like you've worked for years and years and years all over the world with many people who have hungered and thirst for righteousness. Have you seen the same thing? Yeah, uh, years ago when I was um, 
having uh, a little contratemps with Brian Houston after his book, You Need More Money. Uh, yeah, yeah. I, I, um, I actually said most of the most faithful Christians in the world are going to be poor all their lives. And mm-hmm. this notion of prosperity theology that if you're faithful, you're going to be blessed and that means, you know, you're going to be rich. Actually, this side of the coming of Jesus isn't true for most Christians. So Christians uh, struggle, are persecuted, um, serve sacrificially without necessarily the uh, the restoration in this lifetime that Job got after all of his travails. Uh, so we live in between. We live in between uh, the... Um, uh, resurrection that defeats cross, defeats evil. Resurrection announces that evil will no, not permanently rule. That will be the justice of God. But living in between, we don't necessarily experience that. Uh, it remains the hope of our resurrection and God's rule on earth and that restoration then rather than a formula that uh, if you're hunger and thirst, um, you know, you can in five years, ten years, be filled, and yeah. there you go. The formula worked. Yeah. <laughs> so this is a future thing then for you, but it's future that plays out in the here and now maybe. Yeah, that's why I believe in judgment. Boy, do I believe in judgment. <laughs> that God will judge with righteousness and uh, in resurrection will restore. Uh, so there is a future element to it. Look, the other side of it is there's a present element to it. Um, the happiest people I have seen have often been amongst the world's poor. Mm. They wow. still have song and dance and community mm-hmm. and friendship. And I come back to Australia where we uh, have solved the problem of uh, supply. We have enough houses and cars and yeah. uh, clean water. And their people are depressed yeah. and anxious, yeah. profoundly anxious. And I go, there is a truth now. To mm. the hunger and thirst huh. for righteousness also. But it's paradoxical. Yeah. Mm. Mm. Now, I'm sitting here with two white men and we're all part of a very <laughs> privileged <laughs> society. Um, how do you believe, Tim, the level of hunger for righteousness um, is affected by our privilege? Um, can we know true hunger if we've never actually needed a just world? Because in Western society, generally, we have all our necessities met. Yeah, I think it's where Christian faith is so important. Um, you know, Jesus stands over against the culture, all cultures, including ours. Mm. And Christian faith, I think, gives you a position to say, if God, if Jesus did not grasp at equality with God but emptied himself and became a human and suffered, that stands over against the self-sufficiency, the self-protection, mm. the uh, fear of any vulnerability mm. that is the given of being a Western white man and uh, assuming that uh, that couldn't happen to me. I think... Um, the orientation of Christian faith really helps in saying uh, I need to also practice humility, which is for the Greco-Romans not one of the virtues because it was too much like humiliation. Hmm. Who Who would ever want to be 
humble. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Most here is God who humiliates himself and suffers, even death on a cross. So uh absolutely there is a great uh inability to really empathize given our privilege but this goes right to the heart of my christian faith that actually this is god's world he's passionate about the broken and the poor he hasn't given up on them and therefore if i orient myself with that that god and follow him in jesus uh i have to come out of my bubble i have to expose myself to giving and serving and i think it's where resurrection helps um you know, if I really believe I don't have to squeeze everything into this one life, every advance and protection and career opportunity because there is another life, I can give sacrificially. Wow. I can actually take risks. Mm. I can actually take serious risks because I believe there is another world and I'm going to be part of it. I, I think uh, that's the orientation of Christian faith to overcome that bubble. How do you orient yourself daily um, to that reality? Because I feel like the fallback position is to self-protect, is to continue fearing, is to kind of keep providing for yourself to to sustain yourself. Yeah. How how do you orient yourself daily? You know, it's important to know what risks. Um, uh, I heard a program last night on Philip Adams and the... uh, the development of uh, the first indexes for books and uh, in one index at 59 a guy said i love taking risks at 60 he was in jail Uh, (laughs) (laughs) um, i I think it has to be a a kingdom risk Uh, so daily i journal i've journaled since i was 17 Uh, right at the moment i'm using lectio divina and i uh, love it so um, I have a group of uh, Christian friends I meet with weekly who are, are very good at grounding me, telling me when I'm taking a lend of myself and uh, wow. a bit, uh, you know, uh, caught up in what I'm doing. Uh, so I think the, the spiritual disciplines, daily spiritual disciplines, are uh, incredibly important. Mm. Can I ask, do you have a, um, a structure with your journaling? It's, it's largely free flow and it starts with the, what's uppermost in my mind. Mm-hmm. And, um, but it, it usually lands with what's actually really going on here. What am I, am I hearing the voice of the Holy Spirit? Um, so, yeah, it is a bit free flow, Grace. Surely it's poetry. Surely it's poetry for you to <laughs> Every word. So I'm going to leave in my will my uh, 150 volumes to you, Joel. Do what you can with them. <laughs> Sounds great. Sounds great. <laughs> uh, I'm wondering, I'd love, I'd love to hear through, through all your journaling over the many, many years, um, I'd, I'd love to hear a bit of a Tim Costello story, if you have one. Um, that you can think of that kind of um, relates to this or brings in for you where you might have seen this play out, either in your life or in the lives of the people that you um, have worked with over many, many years. Is there a specific 
um, story that just comes to mind that speaks to this idea of hungering and thirsting for righteousness and finding uh, contentment or finding fullness in that? Well, you know, they're very personal story and I've written my my memoir about this is um, mm. my mother, sadly now 92 and in the end of life stage, still got her mind, but uh, she was in hospital for uh, two years. Uh, she got into university but uh, was in the Alfred because um, she had a heart condition she was going to die. Mm. And they told her she was going to die. And uh, she didn't die uh, though she was in hospital for two years. She, uh, my father, who was dating her and riding in on his bike each day, proposed, and they said, you mustn't get engaged, it could kill you. She got engaged. They said, well, you mustn't marry, it could kill you. She got married. <laughs> I was conceived. They said, you must abort. You must. It will kill you. Mm. And she said, oh, fiddlesticks, what would the doctors know? <laughs> <laughs> and... Now, 92, three children, um, and uh, so there's a little bit of the vulnerability of women in the Christmas story and Mary in that. Mm. That's that um, she just kept trusting, has a strong Christian faith, handed her life over. Um, again and again in my, tra- in, in my travels, I've seen people who are against the odds have kept going, have trusted, um, have seen things that probably shouldn't have happened, <laughs> happened. And, um, you know, that's that's why life is profoundly both mysterious and I think grace-filled. It's, it keeps surprising us. Yeah. And uh, a thirst for justice, I think, is innate at one level. You know, the, almost the first words are, my granddaughter, who's now three, said uh, it's, it's not fair. <laughs> and uh, I think it's very deep and thirsting mm. for it and cultivating it, but seeing it in others is, is what makes us human. Mm. And what about, the, what about the opposite as well? Like has there been times in your life, and maybe you want to speak to one of these times, that's, that you've just been so empty, like you've been fighting for justice causes for so many years. Mm. When was that moment in your life where you were like, stuff it, I'm out, like I'm out, um, but you're still in. So how did you, what did that look like and how are you still Yeah, look, there was a moment when my kids were um, teenage years mm. and they, it was my daughter, I think, said to me, Dad, is there any campaign you've backed that's ever won? And I remember wow. oh, I remember wow. thinking, she really thinks I'm a loser. <laughs> and... She's not wrong. (laughs) Uh, uh, And, you know, if I look at gambling where I started campaigning against Crown Casino in 1995, 1996 the age editorialised me, said I was a wowser go away. The casino is great for Melbourne, compulsory celebration. Wow. I thought I I should just give up. What's the point? (laughs) Uh, and I was saying back then there's money laundering. It's enabling organised crime. No one listened. Mm-hmm. Staying with it, saying, well, I'll try and be faithful even though I may not be successful. Uh, actually, now, this many years on, uh, Royal Commission saying money laundering, enabling organised crime, yeah, all, yeah. The, all the very things that, you know, I was saying. So... Uh, 
what sustains me? Look, I, I, I really think it is Christian faith. It is that sense that I'm not the Messiah. This is God's world. Um, he wants to fix it. Uh, I will align myself and do what bit I can, but it's not my responsibility. At the end of the day, it's his. Yeah. And that, that actually sustains me. Mm. Wow. That's great. That's, that's so amazing, that that statement. I might not be, I'm going to be faithful. I might not be successful. I think mm. in our society, that that is so bold to not just say, but to live out. Um, and you've had such like a long career to date in in this industry like yeah that's that's amazing um is there um when you look back on your career so far is there a season when you have felt most filled um and what was it like oh it it was always when I was literally with communities in low-income countries Mm -hmm. uh and it wasn't that in my work, I was at World Vision, we had done this or that. It was actually recognising this community and its sense of culture and joy in very simple things. Mm. It, it just would move me. And um, I'd actually come back to Australia and feel a bit dead. <laughs> I, I'd want to shake people and say, there's a joy there yeah. and a, a love there. That we don't know about. Yeah. Um, that those are the things that really filled me. Yeah, that's great. Well, we might head into a finish just maybe with one last question, unless Grace, you have any other questions? Yeah, no, I'm I'm good. Um, I'd I'd love to hear you've you've been around. That sounds bad. You've been around, haven't you, Tim? You've been <laughs> around uh, the traps for so many years. I'm wondering if we could you could just finish off with what's the. Um, what do you feel like you need to say to the church now at the moment uh, after the years of working at different organisations, uh, working on social justice for a long time? What's the uh, a lasting message that you want to bring to the church? Yeah, I, I believe uh, the church needs to understand that its identity is in Christ. Um, I have a dear friend who helps feeding the poor, but he's very right-wing. He still sort of believes Trump won the election. He's not too <laughs> sure about climate change. We spar over politics. <laughs> yeah. But at the end of the day, he says, isn't it good, Tim? Our identity is not in politics. Our identity is in Christ. Mm. Now, it has to be the Jesus uh, of the Gospels, not the Christ captured by culture and nationalism. Yeah. But... Uh, I think as the uh, swirling winds of, you know, vaccine or anti-vax and uh, um, mandates and all the political issues that uh, swirl, we know these aren't ultimate. Our ultimate identity is in Christ and uh, that's where we plant our feet and that is solid ground when we plant our feet there. That's great. True. Tim, thank you so much for your time. It's just been awesome to get to chat to you. Lovely and great to see you. All the best. Go well. God bless. That 
was Tim Costello, the wonderful man. How great to talk to Tim. So great. Thank you again, Tim. Yeah, and I loved, I mean, you hear um, you hear in his words as a veteran of the social justice scene, mm. The I loved him reflecting about both the good times and the hard times and the many hard times that have been and, like, that moment of his daughter. Oh, um, saying, have, like, has anything you've done succeeded? Like, that's that's such a, uh, I think that anyone who attempts to bring about a better world is going to face that moment at some time in their life. Absolutely. And, and for him to name that is such a vulnerable, beautiful thing. Absolutely. And to hear that as a father would just be yeah. so, yeah, so hard. I also loved what he said, and I'm paraphrasing here, but... I might not be successful in this life, but I will be faithful. Mm. Like, and then to then look at his career to date, yeah. how how incredibly meaningful mm. his career has been. How like how wonderfully productive mm. in in such a meaningful form of work. Yeah, such an inspiration for all of us. Eh? Absolutely. Um, now we're going to head into Joel's story about Punya Prashad. Thanks, Joel. This is a meditation on my own capability and yours too. See, on the mountaintops of Nepal, amidst jungle and rugged path, there lives a man who walks upside down. Truly, hands to the ground, palms to dirt, since birth he has dragged his body along rocky ground. I have it so easy in life, I know that I do. These two hands, these two feet walk to a privileged beat, beat nothing gonna beat beat me down, cause it can't reach, reach me up here on my own mountain top. I have not looked at life from both sides now, just from this prosperous position. These clouds are blinding. I don't know what it is to be desperate, to hunger and thirst, food on the table, roof over my head. These things I am thankful for, said at the beginning of the meal, amen. Thank you for the food, amen. Thank you for the shelter, amen. Thank you for these two hands, these two feet, amen. His name is Punya Prashad. He's one of the hidden ones. There are many of them. In the shadowed corners of the world, the people and the places we'd rather not tell about to each other, pretend they do not exist. But what do I miss from my own life when I have never had to crawl along the ground just to survive? His arm muscles are stronger than my gratitude could ever be. Blessed he who hungers and thirsts for what is right. Wheelchairs are useless along the mountain path, so hands must become feet, rubber sandals on palms. Don't you dare tell me that lameness makes a man weak. His biceps alone could crush these entitled lungs. He is no less because he is not able-bodied. His body has made him able. He does not sit idle whilst all the time I idolize my own capability. This is a meditation on capability and the invisibility of disability and the ability that bravery brings me if only you would teach me, Punya Prashad, teach us 
how to live when the going gets tough and the rough terrain of life feels overwhelming. If I could not use my legs, I'd be so tempted just to give up. But every morning he rises with the sun, palms to dirt, he works the fields and he turns a barren plot into 150 trees, yielding 300 bananas in the garden. He's bringing in the food he needs to feed his three children and to sell at the market. Do not tell me disability is weakness. This man is the epitome of strength. He will not stop. He will not do nothing, just feeling sorry for himself. This is his life and he takes it in his arms stride but he doesn't just stop there he trains the farmers from all around frees them too from the chains of poverty those with disability he takes to get grants and support and forces the powers that be to see these invisible ones i have stopped seeing the invisible ones open my eyes god to the invisible ones not to save them but to sit at their feet lame feet teach me of my own lameness and your strength so blessed are those who hunger and thirst for what is right for they will be filled from the top of their head to the tips of their fingers to their toes to their feet to their feet these two hands these two feet walk to a privileged beat beat teach me how to see Teach me how to listen. This is a meditation on my own inability. Loving God, we rarely know hunger or thirst in Australia, but we pray that we may experience hunger and thirst now, a hunger and thirst for justice. Lord, we confess we expect blessing as an entitlement of our birth, citizenship, our personal merit. But our longing is for deeper blessing, your blessing, which comes when we hunger and thirst for justice, because this reflects your heart. We know we are oversupplied with food and drink. We rarely doubt that our bodily needs and appetites will be filled but we long to be filled. We know that our satiation with these temporary things is shallow. Our deeper hunger and thirst for justice and to be filled is eternal. A justice which changes the structures and systems around us, which dehumanise and strips people of dignity and true worth as your sons and daughters. We yield to you, the God of justice. You long to bring justice to all your children denied it. We align ourselves with your hunger for justice, knowing that in Jesus, we see that you experienced justice denied. In him, we understand that to believe in you requires a faith that always takes the side of the outsider, the marginalised, the victim of injustice. It is that hunger, it is that thirst that we seek, that those who have known injustice will be filled with your justification and grace. In the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.
Thank you again, everyone, for tuning in to yet another episode of an Upside Down World podcast with your hosts, Grace Nayum and Joel McCarrow. We'll see you next time. Bye bye. <laughs> you don't look at me. Bye bye. <laughs> <laughs>